Welcome to The Birth Debrief, a safe place where women and families are invited to share their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum journeys. The Birth Debrief centers experiences that may be difficult for others to hear. We are lifting the lid on topics that aren't often spoken about. Loss, infertility, obstetric violence, birth trauma, discrimination and so much more. If you are processing any trauma or pain from your parenting and birth experiences, please consider whether listening to these stories may be right for you at this moment in time. I'm in the process of developing a webpage where families can go to connect with services suited to helping them in processing their experiences. But in the meantime, if you aren't getting the support you need, please reach out to me and I will do my best to help you in any way that I can. In today's episode, I interview Lee. Lee is a midwife who has worked in both Australia and New Zealand where she currently resides. Lee shares a little on her experiences working as a midwife in Australia and sheds some light on the differences between midwifery care between Australia and New Zealand. If you know anything about the amazing country New Zealand and how different their care is to the care that we receive here in Australia, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. So be sure to leave me a review and leave your comments. You can connect with me in a multitude of ways and I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with me today. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. (laughs) It was really interesting how I got introduced to you and I'm just so happy that I'm able to make these little links through social media and just connect with these people all over the world, you know? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? So I think we start off, if you'd like to just give a little rundown of where you are and what you do and just your experience in the birth space, either personally or professionally. Yeah. Okay. So um, my name is Lee. Um, I am a British trained midwife who um, I qualified as a midwife in 2015 worked in the UK in the same hospital that I did my training at um, and then decided to go traveling. So I went over to Australia and I was in Australia for two years and then my visa ran out. So I hopped over the pond and came over to New Zealand and that's where I currently am. I'm on the west coast of the South Island and I'm currently working as a lead maternity carer. Um, So midwifery systems are a little bit different here than what they are in Australia. So when a woman finds out she's pregnant, she basically just picks a midwife who is her midwife all the way through. So they do all the antenatal care, they do the labour and the birth, and then six weeks postnatally. Yeah, it's great. I have I currently have 34 women on my book. Wow. Um, so I'm very busy, but it's, it's, it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. But I cover a huge geographical area here, um, pretty much the whole of the West Coast. Yeah. Um, it's a really, really big space. So... Yeah, I do lots of driving and get to appreciate all the scenery and New Zealand. And yeah, I love it. What a beautiful office to have. Oh, yeah. Very nice. <laughs> you know, drive mountains on one side, the ocean on the other side. Gorgeous. I was um, I was just talk- talking to a, um, a midwife in New Zealand a couple of days ago. I, I follow her on Instagram and um, mm-hmm. she previously was working in hospitals and she said, I'm looking to go into um, private care. And I had no knowledge of how the maternal health care system in New Zealand worked. And when she explained mm-hmm. it to me, I was just... I was amazed. I'm like, that's that's yeah. just, it's so good. Lovely. Yeah. And it, they're fully subsidized or fully paid by the government. Yep, they are. That's so good. So there's no out of, no or minimal out of pocket costs to the mother. 
No, not at all. Oh my goodness. And they can choose hospital or home birth, like their options are... Oh. Yeah, they can choose whatever they want and they're more than welcome to, um, if at any stage they feel like the midwife isn't the right fit for them, then they're more than welcome to, you know, find another midwife and swap over at any stage, um, you know, any stage throughout their pregnancy. It doesn't even matter if they go into labor and they turn around and say, actually, no, I want her to look after me. That They're more wow. than entitled to do that. So, yeah, it's really personalized and it really, really suits, you know, it's just it's just for, for women and their families, really. It works yeah. so, so nicely. That's true continuity of care, right? Absolutely, yeah. Did you know that the, um, the system worked like that before you went over? Is that part of the reason why you went over or what enticed you to move there? Well, to be honest with you, I knew that... It was gonna. It was going to be different um, from Australia. Um, I really struggled as a midwife in Australia. Coming from the UK, I find that the midwives we're more autonomous. We have more responsibility, and we're very we're more low risk. And I just found in Australia, it was almost how I had heard things were in America. Mm. Obviously, not as extreme as America, but almost at that level. Um, yeah. You know, and it's it's more of in the UK we have what are called direct entry midwives we have midwives that don't have any nursing background any training they just go directly into midwifery and that's it whereas in Australia being a direct entry midwife is almost a rarity Mm. Um, and then coming back over to New Zealand I knew that New Zealand was similar to the UK in the sense that they have a lot of direct entry midwives and without sounding mean obviously because I am not a nurse or anything like that but you definitely notice the difference between a dual qualified midwife and a direct entry midwife uh yeah 100 percent um yeah i i can liken a personal experience to that my mum is a um is a registered nurse and she's worked in emergency departments for a lot of her career Mm. and it's just talking to somebody who who is medically trained to deal with trauma and emergencies and things like that that's automatically where their mind goes when you talk to them about any any, not just birth related but i mean i do understand it to a point that that's their experience and they've seen the worst of the worst that that's kind of automatically where their mind goes so i can totally understand how there would be a big difference between a medically trained like a nurse midwife and then a a direct entry midwife as well yeah there is um i i even had one experience um in a hospital that i worked at in australia where one midwife actually told me that i wasn't a proper midwife because i wasn't a nurse oh my goodness and i was like oh okay thanks (laughs) Never mind that midwifery is all I know, you know. I was like, sure, thanks, I'll take that, no worries. Yeah, and I mean, when you really go back to the to the roots of what midwifery care mm. is, it's just supporting women and trusting the process yeah. and, yes, having knowledge on how to deal with certain things when they do pop up, but just being able to read the woman's body and, and what she needs in that moment of yeah, time, absolutely. you know not react and and kind of preempt emergencies and what might go wrong you know it's yeah yeah I must admit my philosophy is very much you know not not a what if that happens you know Mm. it's it's more of a you know that probably won't happen do you find that that's kind of um that's the majority of midwives over there in New Zealand that that's kind of their philosophy as well like um, I think it's a bit mixed, um, but to be honest with you, I find that everywhere. Um, I must admit that I find, especially with, I'd say, more junior midwives, I think it's still it's still very scary. It is very scary being a midwife. You yeah. know, you've got two lives in your hands and you're completely responsible for it and everything you have to do, you have to be able to justify what you're doing. 
So I do find that you do have younger midwives who are very much, oh, but what if this happened? Oh, but what if this? And it's more of a, you know, they are, they seem, they almost seem anxious. And for some reason, I don't know, I think I missed that boat because I've never really felt anxious about childbirth or midwifery. I get that there are things that go wrong, but it's not my first thought. You know, I'm very, very relaxed and things. But obviously, as soon as I notice that something might be happening, yeah, my heart does, you know, it, it quickens, it's beating a little bit. And, you know, I do get a bit, oh, you know, what's happening here? But as a general rule, I don't tend to be that kind of person. And, you know, I've, I've, I've said that to my partner. I'm like, I don't know if I'm broken or if I'm, there's something wrong with me. Because <laughs> I just tend to not look that side on things. You know, I'm very, very optimistic yeah. about things. And, yeah, but I do find, yeah, in, it doesn't matter what country you're in. There are a lot of people, I think, that are very scared. Yeah, I think it, it probably comes down to uh, a multi a couple of things, but personality. I think if you're the kind of easygoing mm. personality type where you you don't automatically assume the worst, um, but also I feel like especially in Australia that I have noticed there's a culture of not only fear about what might go wrong from the younger midwives and student Mm. midwives but a fear of if they don't do things as they were told to do by older midwives there's a fear of repercussions from from the hierarchy which is really disconcerting. It is. And yeah, it is definitely something that you can see, which is why I think, um, you know, like I mentioned to you before, why I think I, I kind of kicked up a bit of a stink um, in some of the jobs that I've been in, um, simply because I'm, you know, and I've said this in my interviews before, that I'm not a yes man. You know, I don't do things just because someone tells me that's the way that it's always done. Yeah. Because just because that's the way it's always done doesn't mean it's right. Exactly. So unless someone can justify to me, you know, a good rationale behind certain things, you know, I'm not going to do them just because someone says so, be it a doctor, a midwife, or, you know, a woman, anything like that, without the proper rationale and research to back it up. I'm not happy doing things that I don't agree with. Yeah, I'm much the same. I was photographing this one birth and the um, the midwife asked me not to photograph a certain thing. And I said, that's fine. I'm like, I'm happy not to photograph that. It's not particularly what I'm here to photograph anyway. But mm-hmm. um, why is it that I can't photograph it? And she said, that's just what I've been told and I'm like oh you know do you know why and she's like no that's just what I've been told I'm like don't you ask questions like (laughs) would you you know that's not that's not good enough for me like I'm happy not to but it would be nice if you could give me some sort of answer like a real substantial answer to that you know yeah yeah I'm very much that same personality type where okay that's fine like I'm happy to respect that choice but you know can you tell me why that is the way like can you explain it a little bit give me a little bit more information yeah and I think that's something as well that um a lot of women miss out on doing or almost don't know that they can do is that they can question things you know just because you know I'm in I'm in a position you know of my job puts me in this position doesn't mean that everything I say you have to take at face value you can dig deeper you can question people even you know even obstetricians anybody like you know don't just take it just because it's there you know question it and say do I have to because at the end of the day you don't have to like you don't have to do anything you don't want to do definitely not not enough women especially in Australia know that they can do that and I myself didn't know that I I I call it the patient mentality you just get stuck in the patient mentality and you yes sir no sir you feel like you you can't really you don't have any leeway to go left or right or ask any questions absolutely and you don't want to be questioning their knowledge and their skill but I mean they're still 
there's reason for women to know what's happening to them and if they feel, you know, like they want to ask questions and they should be in an environment, especially in the birth space, where they feel comfortable to be able to do that. And I know a lot of women feel like they, if they, if they do ask questions or if they say no to certain things, that then they would receive um, different care after that and they're worried for their, the care that they would receive if they're seen to be a difficult patient. Mm. Yeah, no, that's understandable. I, do, I must admit, I do find, though, that once women have had their first baby afterwards, especially when they've had time to reflect on it, it's almost like they learn that they can become this person and they can actually go, oh, no, actually, I'm not going to take that. And they become a bit, it's almost like a fire is lit inside of them. Not, you know, not necessarily always from having a bad experience. Sometimes it's almost just they've been there and they've done it and they sit there and they think, well, actually, you know, this, I'm going to make this completely different now. Yeah, 100%. And that, that, is pretty much the exact reason why I'm doing this is to try and shine a light on the options and choices that women have that they probably some aren't aware that they do have and also to kind of expose a little bit of the um, the underbelly of the maternal health care in Australia but also around the world that we don't necessarily talk about, that we don't give women the space to be open about. Yeah. I feel like there's lots of places where women can go and tell their happy birth story but not necessarily somewhere they can go and tell and listen to women who have had similar experiences to them that may have been less than ideal you know absolutely no there definitely needs to be more talk around it because you know it happens everywhere every day we all go through it so you know it should it should be a good open space for everybody to talk about it good or bad experiences you know women that's one thing women need to communicate with each other more don't be scared you know it's the same as having an opinion on an outfit don't don't be shy to say you know I don't like that and I didn't like this so yeah we need to we need you know women need to know that they can actually you know have that that freedom to talk about these experiences without without repercussions or without you know anybody else kind of sitting there and having a negative impact or opinion on it yeah definitely so what made you want to get into midwifery care um so (laughs) it's quite funny actually I have always loved childbirth and pregnancy and I think it is because I was sat on the end of my mum's bed when she had my sister at home I remember it all very specifically and then three years later she had my brother at home as well um I wasn't in the room when he was born but I was downstairs and then as soon as he was born you know I was taken upstairs to be shown my brother and everything and I've just I've always been really fascinated by it and Then I went to high school and found that I loved art and my careers advisor actually, you know, when, you know, they say, oh, what do you want to do when you're older? I'm like, well, I love midwifery. I think it's really interesting, but I also love art. And I was kind of pushed more towards the art side. Um, So I kind of tried following that and I went to university to do art and I just, I was there and I hadn't been there very long, but I just sat there and thought, this isn't what I want to do. I hate this. So I quit university and I went home. My dad was furious because I'd quit university. And I then went around and tried finding what I needed to become a midwife. And I did. I found out, you know, what courses I need, what grades I need. And off I went. And yeah, here I am now, four years post-qualifying. <laughs> what a roundabout way. You eventually found your way back. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so you briefly touched on your experiences when you were working in Australia as a midwife. Did any any experiences that you had in, in your whole career ever make you doubt whether you still wanted to be a midwife? Never. No, I, 
I've always wanted to be a midwife. However, my first experience of Australian midwifery was probably the worst experience of my career and almost stopped me from becoming a midwife again in Australia. It was only because I had, you know, obviously I made I made a lot of good friends. There are some wonderful people working where I used to work. They just unfortunately had to happen to be working for a terrible system. Mm. Um, and they encouraged me that actually all of Australia isn't the same. So I carried on doing a bit of traveling. Um, I traveled for about three and a half, maybe four months after leaving that job because I needed the break. Um, I needed to kind of find my feet again. And then I went over to a different state and did, you know, worked there for a period of time and I fell back in love with it again. And I, you know, you know, brought me back the hope that actually it's not like that everywhere. Maybe I just was in the wrong place at the wrong time or who knows. But yeah, I look back on it and it was probably some of the worst (laughs) experiences of my career. Oh, do you think that it was a, a culture thing, a system thing, or maybe a um a, hi- a hierarchy thing, like certain people that were working there that were setting the tone for how things ran? Or do you know what I think? It was a combination of all of those factors. I couldn't specifically put my finger on just one thing because there were so many bad things happening in this particular oh. hospital. It was even as bad as you know I'd escalated it to all of my managers to the point where. I was just not being listened to and I was brought into a meeting with you know I can't even remember what her title was anymore I just remember thinking how is this woman in this job because she's clearly not listening to her staff and she because I was on a working holiday visa and I just remember all she said at the end you know I was in there crying I was ra- raising these issues I was getting really worked up and all she said to me afterwards she was like how would you feel if I told you that we were going to offer you sponsorship And I'd had this conversation with my partner because, you know, I thought coming over to Australia, we were like, oh, if we ever offered sponsorship, we'd take it because we just fell in love with Australia. And the first thing that came into my head, I just thought, absolutely no way. There is no way that I can stay in this hellhole any longer. And I think I had three months left of my um, contract of working there. And I just turned around to her and I said, you know what? you'll be lucky if I see out my six month contract. I said, the way I feel right now, I want to walk out of this hospital and never come back. I said, I would never even let someone's dog give birth in here, let alone a woman. That's how bad I felt about that place. You know, my sister had nearly found out she was pregnant and I was like, yeah, it's just not happening. There is no way I would even let my sister come near this hospital to have her baby. Oh, so and you were there for such a short period of time as well. Yeah, I was. I, I managed to stick it out for six months. Um, but that's only because it was convenient and yeah I was happy where I was living and yeah so but I did six months but I don't think I could have done any more than that. Do you think the other staff felt the same? I know they did. (laughs) I had so many conversations with people all the time but unfortunately the way that the culture was in that hospital you make a stink you lose your job. I saw it happen myself so but I was more of a mindset well I don't plan on staying so if they quit if they sack me I don't care like I'll make a fuss but yeah I just I mean I've been in contact with a few of the midwives I used to work with and they say there have been some changes but it's still pretty much the same oh my goodness how long ago was this that you were here um I worked worked at that hospital from August 2017 to February 2018 yeah can you touch on some of the things that you saw that you were really unhappy with that happened while you were there? Oh, so many things. Um, 
So a lot of the things that I found really difficult um, were just a lot of the way that the women were treated in a sense of, um, I, it's really hard, but you would not have a woman come back to the postnatal ward after having a forceps delivery where she didn't have a third degree tear. And I mean, third degree tears, I get that they are, you know, they are almost an accident for want of a better word of childbirth. But they are in many cases preventable. And to see, I mean, it was, I think it went for a period of like three weeks where every single woman was coming back with a, with a third or fourth degree tear. And, you know, some of these women were young and there's just no need as to why they were having things like this. And everybody was just accepting it. And I was like, hang on a minute, what is going on? Like, why are all these women getting these tears, these awful tears? Like, so that's one of them. Um, all cesarean sections. The babies were delivered using forceps at a cesarean section and they were all coming back with lacerations, bruises to their faces. Um, I had one baby come back with a split lip and the dad said to me, what, why did they use a forceps? And all I had to say was, I don't know. You know, I've seen it. I know when it's used. I know why it's used. But it's very rare that it's used in the cesarean section. But it was routine at this hospital. Um, one thing that I think is probably statewide that really bothers me is that when a woman has a baby via cesarean section, the baby is then taken back to the ward whilst the mum recovers by a recovery nurse. Now that to me, um, I actually wasn't allowed to do cesarean sections because I refused to separate the mum from the baby because in my opinion, that's completely unethical and unnecessary like, you don't get to just take a one and totally unnecessary you just don't get to take a, a newborn baby away from its mom just because like you know where I worked in the UK and multiple places here now the baby stays with the mom in recovery yeah so I don't understand why this baby had to then be brought back and be separated for its mother for a period of almost up to like two three hours yeah the very first birth that I attended in a hospital had that and I was I was tearing up. I was so upset that that was happening and the baby was getting distraught and was really, really hungry and really tired. And, and the dad, not even, I wasn't even allowed to go with the mum into recovery. I'm like, she's on her own. She's a first time mum. You know, like the least you can do is allow a support person, if not her baby, just someone to be with her, you know? So I found that, found that really hard. Um, so yeah, when I told them, they asked me one day when they were short staff, they said, Lee, you're going to have to go down and um, do this cesarean section and I was like okay but if I go I am not bringing the baby back to the ward without its mum what, what do you mean I was like I will stay with the baby in recovery they were like no well, we need you as soon as the cesarean's done you need to come back with the baby and get back on the ward and I was like then I suggest you find someone else because I'm not doing that I will stay with them until they both come back uh, and that's what gets so, me most about that situation is that it's a, a staffing thing and that's what they said when I asked I said can you know can the baby go with the mum and they said no because then a midwife needs to stay with her and I'm like what is more important to you you know and it wasn't a particularly busy night in the delivery ward you know I'm just it's just ridiculous it's the only place I've ever worked that ever does it yeah I've never worked anywhere else that does that like in in the UK where I trained our um delivery suite had its own theater with its recovery attached to it and once the woman was out of theater the midwife was then responsible for doing her recovery and looking after mother and baby yeah. so we're, we're more than capable um where where I worked they they said their rationale was because that the nurses, the baby couldn't stay there because the nurses aren't trained on neonatal resuscitation if it's needed. Simple mm. answer, train them. Yeah. It's one training day. 
one training day to get your competency it's really not difficult like and like all of the hospitals promote breast breastfeeding and every single hallway you walk down has pamphlets and posters up about breastfeeding and how they support you know things like that but then in practice they're not doing everything they can to ensure that the woman and the, the mother and the baby get off to a good start with their breastfeeding journey you know absolutely it's almost laughable it should be you know we support all of this unless you have a cesarean yeah it's just a it's a token effort really yeah but yeah I mean my the list is endless of things that I could go on about and see my mainly my biggest bugbear is this whole not allowing women to have vaginal breach deliveries and I get that it's been a huge thing in Australia for a long time but uh, it's just infuriating you know to see women coming in fully dilated with a breech delivery and almost, okay, someone put your hand up, push this baby's bum back up and we'll take her to theatre. Uh, like, what? Yeah. What is that? And again, it's a it's training just... thing. It's a knowledge sharing thing that that knowledge has just been lost and now there's fear around it because it's been lost for so long that, um, yeah, no one is willing to touch it for fear of, you know, the what if. But like you said before, there's a simple answer to that. You know, there are people who are experienced and trained and well-versed in breech vaginal births. And, you know, that knowledge should be shared so that these women have that choice. They do, absolutely. It just, it's, yeah, either, you know, it's gone on for so long, like you said, that there are no more skilled practitioners that have the confidence to do it. Whereas the hospital I trained in, one of our consultants was so confident and well-practiced in it that he would just stand in the room over a midwife's shoulder and teach her how to do it it doesn't matter how qualified you were he would allow you to do it and stand there as a support for if at any point he needed to step in for any reason and that is something you know I kind of want to get in contact with him and be like get your ass over to Australia and circulate go around everywhere you know teach them what they need to know yeah so yeah that was a heartbreaking thing how, how does breach birth go in New Zealand have you experienced that there um, to be honest, it's a little bit harder where I'm working right now because um, we're considered rural, which when you've worked mm-hmm. in rural Australia is quite laughable because what they think is rural here is nothing in comparison. Um, so a lot of the things that they do here, they're very um, what's the word? They're very cautious because of our facilities. It's just a very small unit, and we don't really have many great resources some of our pediatric cover are just rmos that are covering pediatrics for the day because they don't have an actual pediatrician so i think a lot of it stems from that so the only experience i've had with a breach here was they did an elective and again i did a little bit of stomping and why why is this woman having an elective it's her third baby she had two very very quick vaginal deliveries why are we seizuring her and it was just again fear of if something goes wrong do we have the resources yeah so that's the only experience I've had here but um yeah I haven't really had much else but I know in other areas of New Zealand there are midwives that do practice vaginal breach deliveries so yeah it's a little bit more more you know open and stuff than it was in Australia I I mentioned to you before that I photographed a vaginal breech birth um, yeah. late last year, and I didn't really I didn't realize how much misinformation and fear there was around it until I started sharing images from that birth, and yeah. um, a couple of them were shared over in America, and just the comments that they were receiving, like a lot of the women were like, I didn't even I didn't know, like I had a breech baby and I had to have a C section or this and that, like I, I did not even know that 
this that anyone could do this let alone me yeah and other comments like oh the the baby's head can get cut off and things like that I'm just like wow okay this is a whole new world (laughs) yeah that's what you read when you walk around these old obstetric museums that are in London (laughs) they don't do that anymore you know there were there were old practices that you know even when I was training they were showing us these old instruments and when they told you what they were for you just kind of oh you know your stomach ended up in your throat kind of thing it was just awful but yeah those kind of things don't happen anymore Oh my goodness, it's just, there, there's so much obviously around breech birth, but just in birth in general, there's so much misinformation. I think Google plays a lot of, you know, it's quite responsible for that as well. Um, you know, anybody can write anything on the internet and, you know, when you're an anxious first time mum, you'll take, you'll take anything as, you know, as gold essentially. You know, I do, we, so being an LMC here, obviously I meet women when you know, sometimes as early as their first missed period, you know, they've literally just found out that they're pregnant and they'll, they'll be in contact with me from then. Um, and all the way throughout their pregnancy, I, you know, I'm always very much, uh, you know, look at these websites, do your research, like don't just take everything that I'm saying to you at face value. I want you to go and do further reading. You know, I do, I actually give people homework <laughs> and say, go out and have a look because, you know, this might work for one person, but it might not work for you. And, just encouraging people to actually look into things don't just sit there because you know one size doesn't fit all what worked for one person may not work for someone else or someone else's experience you might go down the exact same path but you'll get a very different outcome so it, it really is so I do think yeah Google is not my friend and the minute someone says to me oh well I read on the internet and I'm like okay where did you read to start off with is it credible am I is this going to make me angry to hear this this is why I love um, photographing births and sharing birth imagery so much because uh, what you see is what you get and I've had so so many women message me after seeing birth images whether it be mine or other photographers and just say like wow, like I didn't know birth could be beautiful. I didn't know that I could do this or I could do that or I could birth at home or, you know, there's no misinformation around it. Like you see it and that's it, you know, it is what it is. Absolutely. Have you had any experience with birth photographers in New Zealand at all? No, I haven't. Um, However, one of my manager is, well, manager slash colleague slash friend is due to, she's booked for a home birth at the end of next month and, um, I yeah I have volunteered I'm not a photographer I am you know I know no I'm actually quite what's the word a technophobe to be honest with you but I have offered that if she wants to I'm more than happy to come around and grab a few snaps and stuff like that for her and some of the people that have heard that I've offered this have kind of gone why and I'm like well why not like why why would you not want that if you know your body is working hard you're doing something that is you know amazing why would you not want to have evidence of this why would you not want to look back at it like you know so many women that go into a separate zone when they're in the in labor and birth and things and they kind of you kind of tell things back to them and they kind of don't remember or they might have seen it in a different way so I think it's yeah I think more people need to you know take pictures of labor and birth and things and not look at it as something disgusting that shouldn't be shared I mean my mum had home births and she recorded my brothers and sisters births and you know, I, wow. it's amazing now being a midwife, looking back at them, you know, with a little me running around and everything. But it's 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 crazy, you know, and she just, I don't know, I think more people need to do it. Yeah, I feel like the more that it gets shared, the more that the stigma around birth is broken down and it, it becomes less taboo and people talk about it more. And like I said before, it, it makes women 
aware of their options because when they see a woman birthing and just owning it and you know looking beautiful and having a water birth or a home birth or having an empowered hospital birth um it makes them realize that they too can do that you know and their options are wider than they originally thought i love it i love birth photography you know i live and breathe midwifery at the moment because my job is very full-on but I never get sick and tired of looking at pictures and hearing other people's stories just because, like I said, it's different for everybody. You know, essentially it's the same practice, but no two people will ever go on the same journey. Yeah. And that's what makes it interesting. It, it's um something you said earlier resonated with me in that um, women often with their second births take more control and realize that they have more options because just by personal experience and when you have, you know, you have a baby and you talk to other women about their birth experiences, you know, um, it's the same with birth photography. Often it takes women to have had a baby previously to realize that having their birth captured is something worthwhile especially women who have um, had traumatic birth experiences or less than ideal births. They want to have the moment of the birth of their subsequent babies captured to help them heal from any trauma that they've sustained in their pregnancies or previous births. And it can be really healing talking about those experiences, which is another reason why I want to do this, um, to help women just um, talk about it and get it out in the open and, you know, let that, let that air a little bit. No, but yeah, it's it's a great idea. And like I said, as soon as I I heard that you were doing something like this, I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Oh. <laughs> it really is. I'm looking forward to hearing other people's experiences yes. and things like that. From I'm, It'll be great. I'm really excited. And I've got a um, I've got a whole raft of women from all different walks of life lined up. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to putting it out there. So it should be good. So another thing I wanted to ask you is. Over the time that you've been practicing midwifery, have you noticed a shift in the way midwives work and the culture in your work? I know it might be difficult because you've relocated during your career, but I I certainly have in the UK, but I think um, a lot of that has got to do with the changes that are happening with the government and within the NHS, which makes, you know, our practices a lot harder. Um, the, I haven't really noticed that much of a change in Australia, mainly because I worked in two different states and they were very different in the way that they practice. I don't know. It's really hard. Like I said, like you said, you know, because I have moved around, I've gone, I've kind of, you know, country hopped a little bit. Um, and the practices are just very, very different. You know, the, between the three countries, even though essentially midwifery is the same, it is completely different to the point where every time I start a new job, I feel like a new grad or even a student because I ask that many questions because there are so many differences. But differences that I didn't anticipate would, you know, things that I didn't anticipate would be different. And it completely throws me. So I feel like I have to learn all these new things all over again. So it's different when you move from a hospital to another hospital because you've got all their guidelines and their procedures and their policies to get used to as well as all of their staff. But jumping into different countries, I mean, New Zealand and Australia are next door neighbours, but they could not be more different if they tried. Yeah. It's yeah, just, it, it, it's crazy. It is. It's insane. I, I think a lot of people underestimate just how much alike our care is to the US. And when I first um talked to spoke to a couple of people about doing this podcast I was talking about birth trauma and obstetric violence and abuse and bullying and coercion in the birth space and there were a couple of people said well you know that that's mainly in the US right like that doesn't happen here and I'm 
Well, it does. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, and they, you know, I must have, I must admit, Australians are not too fond of it when you tell them how American their systems are. They get very offended. But unfortunately, like I said, I've I've never worked in in America. I've only ever heard things from you know from different social media accounts and things that I follow and pictures and things. But it is very very similar in the sense that you are almost an obstetric nurse being a midwife. But that's that's mainly I only worked in two places. You know that's not to say for the for all of Australia because I've not seen enough of it. But the, certainly the two places that I worked at, very very much everything is led by a doctor of some sort um and i think the worst experience that i had um with regards to doctors being involved in the care were private doctors yeah i mean the research and statistics totally backs that up yeah it's it's absolutely horrendous i mean you know what one that springs to mind is you know, I was caring for um, a woman postnatally who had had an elective cesarean for twins. Her twins were premature, so they were in the NICU. And this doctor walked in, and I had no idea who he was. He didn't introduce himself to me or anything. It was only afterwards I found out who he was. And I just stood in the corner in the back and just observed. And he basically was just, you know, going through his checklist of asking all the right questions. And he was like, okay, well, you've had a cesarean. Um, your twins are in the NICU you've already got an older child, you can really do without breastfeeding. So I'm going to prescribe you some medication to dry up your milk, don't worry about that. And then just carried on talking and then just left. And I just stood there with my mouth gaping open. And I just said, who is that? She went, oh, that's Dr. So-and-so. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, putting a face to a name kind of thing. I said, what, how did you want to feed your baby? She said, well, I breastfed my daughter for like 19 months. So I wanted to breastfeed my twins. I said, then ignoring everything that that man just said, we're going to get you breastfeeding. And, you know, I took her around to NICU and we got the twins and everything on. But I just stood there and thought, how dare that man have the audacity to tell her that and prescribe this medication? Because he's then going to go over and hand it over to another midwife if that's what she wants. And they're just going to go ahead and give it without asking. So she's going to end up with, you know, taking these medication because, you know, sometimes women do take medication and you kind of go, do you know what I'm giving you? And they're like, no, I'm like, then why are you taking it? Like, I haven't even explained what I'm giving to you, but they'll happily take it because I'm a midwife and, you know, I must be giving them something that they need. But the more so, the fact that this man is getting paid so much money for, coer- like, coercing her into doing something she didn't want to do. And the amount of times I've heard that in the private sector, and I just sit there and I think, I don't know, I don't know. I could never, ever work in an environment like that just because I think I would just piss off Yeah, <laughs> I feel like there's a big, um, there's a, a, a culture of women who believe that they're going to be getting better care when they enter into private hospitals, but there's just so much misinformation around that as well, you know. Um, And it doesn't take a lot of digging to find that out. Like I said in the research and statistics, it's blatantly obvious that the care that you receive in private hospitals, you're, you know, X percent more likely to end up with a C-section or, you know, all of these sorts of things. And they think it's it's like a luxury, you know, like having private care. And I have seen some beautiful births in private hospitals, but more often than not, that's because the woman has done her research and she is firm in what she wants out of her birth experience and doesn't just go there and let the system, you know, steamroll her and do whatever and just say yes, sir, no, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I've even had um, a private doctor shout at me when I was working once because um, we were supposed to call them when we thought that, you know, their women were close to delivering. So I do all of the labor care and everything like that. And then I call them when I think that they're close. 
and this woman birthed before the doctor managed to get there and obviously she got there and the first thing she said was you've just cost me x amount of money because you didn't call me early enough and I was like I cannot predict how quick this woman is going to push this baby out I was like regardless I really don't care about how much you get paid like I don't even need you to be there it's just because you know that's what the system says that you have to do I was like but you know I did all hard work but just because she was going to come in and stand in the corner of the room and she would have got paid more for it because she's a private doctor. Oh, my goodness. And I think that, that that's a result of um, private obstetricians and also our public hospitals just practicing high volume care where they just have so many people in their books. They cannot possibly, even if they did want to be um good care providers and give continuity of care to the woman they poss- they couldn't possibly you know they just have so many people in their books and it's just a meat factory and so many people I've spoken to who have hired private obstetricians have said that they wait an hour for an appointment they're in there for five minutes and they're out the door um, and you know I say your obstetrician's only going to be there like when their baby's head on and then they're going to leave and that's it you know that's not <laughs> It's just ridiculous. That's not what you need. No. Yeah. It's just, it's such a, such an important time in someone's life, um, you know, and they may not necessarily remember you 10 years down the track, but they'll certainly remember how you made them feel. Um, and I always, you know, find that really, really important, um, even just a matter of talking to somebody or trying to get their attention to focus on you or certain things like that. You just, you can't, you can't get that. I think with someone that you've just met or you know you've spent five minutes in the room with and that's where I think if you're going to pay for care in that way it should be don't don't have private obstetrician like you know similar to what New Zealand's got they should have continuity of care by having this you know midwives that follow you all the way through someone that knows you kind of inside and out has followed you all the way through your journey knows what you want and you know can recognize when you're not happy and because, yeah, essentially the way that it works here, you meet someone from the very first time they find out they're pregnant all the way through, you build relationships with them. You kind of learn to what they're like as a person. You can see when they're kind of withdrawing or if they're being quiet and you can kind of gauge what they need. Um, and that is, you know, it's and it's really funny because when I went to Australia, because I was an internationally qualified midwife, I actually had to have a mentor for six months because in the UK to qualify, I only had to do three continuity of care packages, whereas in Australia they do 10. And I was told that actually I didn't meet continuity of care and I couldn't possibly understand what it was because I hadn't done that. Oh, God. <laughs> And then I came over and found things like this. And I was like, really? Like, this is baffling. And then you come to New Zealand. It's like, okay, New Zealand, New Zealand knows what continuity of care is. The UK and Australia, you don't have a clue. Yeah, it's not a hard concept to grasp either. Like, it's, it's pretty simple. <laughs> but the benefits you reap from it are, you know, amazing. Just like what, what you just said, you know, you, you can't underestimate the importance of knowing the woman that you're caring for and being able to read their body language and know what they need before they even need it, you know, and just to support them in what they want. And from the mother's point of view as well, forming a relationship with her care provider so that she feels comfortable to voice when she is uncomfortable with what's going on or with something that's happening you know if you go into a hospital and you have a strange midwife walk in who may introduce herself maybe not you're not going to feel comfortable you know if you don't vibe with them you're not going to feel comfortable putting your hand up and going oh sorry you know I want someone else or I'm not happy with this that's happening and 
you know, when you have that relationship forming in the very early stages of pregnancy, it, it's much easier for the woman to be able to put her hand up when she is experiencing something that she's not happy with. And we should be supporting Absolutely. that. Not to mention that what we do is very intimate with women. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, you know, we, we kind of, <laughs> we see them in their most vulnerable positions. We, you know, we go to places that we touch them in places that, you know, other women certainly probably may not usually touch you or, you know, other people, you know, they come from all walks of life, anything. And all of a sudden you're walking into somewhere that someone wants to assess your cervix and touch your breasts and help you breastfeed and, you know, see you naked because a lot of women get to that certain stage sometimes where they just throw all their clothes off and don't want to be touched by anybody. You know, it's, it's can be a whirlwind. And I think, you know, just to have a bit of continuity with somebody that you've, you know, you realize that actually you can trust and, you know, they are going to look after you. They're not just going to come in, poke you in certain areas, tell you you're doing something and then bark at you to carry on doing something else or move your position or get up and do this. And Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you you mentioned earlier that sometimes you see that it's the the younger midwives and the student midwives coming in that are um, often a little bit scared um, when working, and I, I can totally empathise with that and understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I feel like there's a happy medium where a midwife reaches a point where she's been practicing long enough and she's feeling confident and comfortable in the way that she's caring for her for her women and for her patients, and then there's the next tier up which is midwives that have been doing it for so long that they've just been institutionalized and mm-hmm. they've just seen so much trauma in their in their careers yeah and these are women who have come in and who have seen the old legacy items of midwifery care which is I would like to say a lot different to what we see now but maybe on some levels not <laughs> um that they this is not how we did it back in the day and we're just going to continue doing it this way there's a, a golden period in between with these midwives are practicing and, and they're happy and comfortable and feeling feeling like they're in a place where they can say no and stand up to their to their um to the hierarchy in the hospitals and and put their hand up when they see something's going wrong yeah and I think that definitely does come with experience you know I mean midwifery just because you qualify doesn't mean that you know all there is to learn you know you constantly learning like I said I've been doing this job for four years now with three years of training on top and I'm still seeing things that you know I haven't necessarily seen or haven't been exposed to much of um so yeah it definitely does come with experience um I must admit though you do find like you said you do get a certain grade of midwife that I have found in every country and it's, it tends to be the older midwives that I think they just get to a stage where they just think I don't care anymore like not I don't care but I don't give a shit as to what I say and who to they just you've, you've got one I've had one in every hospital I've worked in and they're this miserable person that when you actually talk to them and get to know them, they're so sweet and so lovely. But the first time you meet them, they're just such a whirlwind. And you think, oh, my goodness, like, you know, this old battle axe is just barking orders at everybody. And yeah, it's really funny. And I just said, you know, maybe, who knows, in about 30 or 40 years, that might be me walking down the corridor barking at everybody. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's quite funny. You know, you can definitely tell certain other midwives as well, I think, from – just from speaking to someone, you can gauge kind of what their view on midwifery and stuff is. Yeah. And um, whether you've got a very low mi- low risk midwife who loves home births and you know talks about all different therapies and things like that, to a midwife that just loves high risk, fast paced, you know, people that love to deal with emergencies essentially, you know. And it it is funny. It just I think in some aspects as well, it just depends on who you get looking after you, the what you end up with. 
and what kind of a mood they're in, what kind of day oh, they've yes. had, you know, did they did they have road rage on their yeah. way to work and just have a bad experience? And it's really sad that you're at the women mercy of women um, of carers who, you know, how they care for you can often be dictated by just the type of day they're yeah. having. Or where they are in their menstrual know. cycle, I find that helps. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So many people don't pay attention to that. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't at all. But I must admit, I do find, though, um, being a midwife, um, I have a lot of women that say to me, you know, oh, I'm really sorry, this is probably too much information. Being a midwife, there is, you could never, ever give too much information. I mean, my partner, bless him. Give me more. Yeah, bless him. He's He's been with me all the way through my journey. And I don't think there's anything that I could say to him anymore that he just doesn't care. Like the conversations we have at the dinner table or with friends when we go out for dinner and things like that. It's just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I, I love it in the sense that women, you know, when they are pregnant, almost they get to talk about these things that they wouldn't necessarily talk about, you know, and I encourage them to do so. Do speak more about your body because it is amazing. And I don't think that women pay enough attention to their bodies um, and even listen to yeah, them. Not at so, all. yeah, I, that's, that's one thing I certainly love about this job. Definitely, me too. I think my partner could definitely resonate yeah. with that. Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> partners of nurses and midwives, bless them. They just like my partner could probably be a midwife. In all fairness, I come home and I can say all these different abbreviations. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. If I say oh, I had a PPH, and like, oh, how bad was it? Like, what drugs did you end up using? <laughs> that Aww. kind of thing. So, yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> One of the one of the other big things that I always say when I, I'm talking to people about the hospital system, especially here in Australia, is that. Um, midwives often are a victim of the system themselves and they're a victim of just the the policies and procedures and the hierarchy of the hospital system that they're all working within. They're given a strict set of parameters to practice within and they're not given any leeway to go left or right of that. And you care for your patients within these parameters and that's it. And if you don't, then there'll be repercussions. And I really, really feel for midwives who want to be able to provide a more um, more empathy-based care for their patients but they're just not given the resources or the support to be able yeah, to do so. I have absolutely seen that. Um, I met, like I said, in that job where I worked in, I met some absolutely incredible midwives um, who without them I wouldn't have coped for six months um, and they are just the most generous and caring midwives but unfortunately they just happen like you said, to be in a system that is failing them and it's it's really hard to see. And when I was there, like I said, I was talking to them and I'm like, you know, why are you guys just sitting down and you taking this? And a, little, a lot of the answers were because if I lose my job here, I have nowhere else to go. I've got a family to look after. I've got a mortgage to pay. Like it's not as easy for them to speak up. Um, and then along comes this, you know, <laughs> this little pom who's deciding to shout at everything and tell them that this is all this is all fucked. You shouldn't be doing it like this. But yeah, I, I guess I didn't really appreciate, you know, from from their perspective that sometimes, yeah, they are in a system where actually it's either deal with it or lose your job. Um, and like I said, I did very much see it. And unfortunately, I, you know, I know, I no matter how hard I stamped my feet or how much I shouted, unfortunately, I wasn't really heard. And it even got as far as so I ended up leaving my employment by um, writing a four page letter to my director of midwifery 
saying to her, you know, I've tried on multiple occasions to meet with you and escalate these concerns. I've escalated it, you know, up the ladder and you're the next person, but you kind of haven't been interested in talking to me. These are my concerns. These are my wishes that you would just please address for the sake of the women in this area. Um, and she received my letter and then called me and said, would you be happy to meet up with me? And I was like, too little, too late. I said, I'm actually leaving, you know, where, leaving the area tomorrow. I said, you know, I've, I've, I've messaged you multiple times. You haven't been interested. So unfortunately, no. But all I can ask and I can just plead is that for the sake of the midwives and the women in this area, that you do something and you listen to everything that I've said. But I don't think, you know, I think it probably went in one ear and out the other because, like I said, I don't think many changes have happened. But when when you were in the thick of it and you were stamping your feet and trying to make change for the better, did you notice a change in the other midwives around you? Did it kind of embolden them to, to realise and to see what was going on and to, to think that maybe they could make change as well? Do you know what? It did, but it was very subtle, Um it was where I worked. So I worked on the postnatal ward and I was meant to be, um, I was meant to go around and, you know, work in the different areas. However, I'd had such bad experiences, even just transferring women to the birthing unit that I just downright refused to go there. I was like, nope, I'm not working with that team of women. I'm not working in that environment. It's just not happening. Um, so, it, but even working between the two units, it was very much an us and them. And I was working one particular night where, you know, as per usual, we didn't really have that many staff on. And I think we had two empty beds on a 26 bedded ward. And the birthing unit had one one woman in and they called to tell us that they were going to bring someone else in and put them in our bed, which would have left us with one bed. And the midwife that I was working with just just took it and went, oh, okay. And then sat there and moaned about it. And I was like, do something about it. I was like, tell them, you know, they've got more staff over there. They can look after them or send someone over here to help us if that's the case. Mm. And, you know, she was like, oh, I can't do that. And I was like, you absolutely can. I said, either you do that or I'm going to ring, you know, yeah. the duty nurse manager and I'll make a fuss about it. I said, because they can't do that. I said, we're already understaffed. We're already overworked. None of us had breaks. It's a 12-hour night shift. I was like, you need to do something. And I said, this is the problem with this system. And she got angry with me. You know, obviously she didn't like what I was saying. But within two minutes, she was ringing back and she was saying, actually, no, I'm not accepting that person unless you bring a midwife with it. And you know what? They kept the woman over there, which was good for the woman because she was in early labor. She needed some support. She didn't need to be chucked in a room and ignored by short staff midwives. But it was a little bit like, you know, I hate confrontation. I really do hate it. And I really liked this midwife. We got on really well. And, you know, the way that we were speaking to each other, it was tense and it was hard to speak to my friend like that. But it was, you know sit there and realize that you don't have to just take it you can sit there and say actually no I'm not taking that you've got more staff think about think about the situation think about your colleagues because you're about essentially putting more pressure on your other colleagues you're working with yeah you know it's not fair on the woman speak up and when she did she got results and that uh, that I think that um the thing is they forget that what they do affects other people and it, it in turn comes back and affects you as well you know and you're all working on the same team you know there needs to be a little bit of cooperation between the two yeah absolutely but um there was there was only one slight change that I found that I brought in there that has managed to stay um much to the dismay of one particular midwife who hated it and it was just about communication because the communication between the staff was really really poor so I managed to bring something from the UK implement it and that to this day is still there which is quite nice it's just one small change can sometimes make the world of a difference you know yeah absolutely and communication I think is such a key aspect in midwifery you know I don't think people 
value yeah, it definitely. enough. I, I often talk about the use of language in the birth, uh, birth space and how clinical it can be and the effect that it can have on the birthing woman, you know, how certain words can just completely rip her out of her out of the mindset that she's in or you know things that people will just walk in the room and say certain things and and women can sustain trauma just from things that people have said to her during you know labor and that is completely underestimated in the medical world it's all seen as a bit woo-woo and a bit you know (laughs) but it matters you know it really matters do you think do you think looking back on your experience in Australia do you think that at that particular hospital that there was that some of the issues were stemming from being so risk averse and having a fear of litigation um i don't think so because in my opinion the things that happened there if women knew that actually they were probably being subject to some form of obstetric violence they would have more litigation than they get I could have easily um, walked around the ward and said to someone, that shouldn't have happened, you should sue, that shouldn't have happened, you should sue, that shouldn't have happened, you should sue. I don't think it was that. Like, I mean, even some of the things I highlighted to the director of midwifery is just how simple policies and things were not being adhered to. Like, One of the problems I escalated was um, fluid balance charts and how they just weren't being filled in properly or just not even acknowledged. And, you know, especially for women who have had um cesarean sections and things fluid balance is a huge thing it can impact them in so many ways you know being one of them and they just weren't they weren't even being acknowledged and their catheter care was just absolutely terrible and you know I don't know whether it was laziness or whether they've just have been doing these things for so long that they haven't even noticed that they're you know they're not doing them correctly anymore Uh, but you know, things like that, that could seriously, I think they're just lucky that someone hasn't had any, you know, negative impacts from it that we know of, because absolutely, they could be open up to so many different lawsuits and litigation just for poor care and poor practice. And these were some of the things that I I was highlighting. um, I was here, I was probably a massive pain in the ass, because I was just photocopying notes and things like that for evidence. So when I submitted this letter to the director of midwifery, I had I can't even tell you how many pages of photocopied notes that I had just to support everything I was saying. Um, it, yeah, it was just, I would literally, every shift, I would probably put about five pieces of paper in my locker ready to submit over the six months that I was there, it all accumulated. But stupid things, stupid things that shouldn't be happening. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if it's, you know, that practices. I don't, I don't know what the answer is for you, unfortunately. It just, that is how it was. I ask that because I think a lot of a lot of issues do arise when um, midwives have to practice under the under the rule of being so risk averse that it comes back to what we were talking about before about they're trying to preempt that things are going things are going to go wrong even though there's no indica- indicators to suggest that it might. Um, uh, for instance, with an active third stage, that's one of the biggest things for me is that I see that they're just given a shot to have an active third stage without even discussing with the mother and that's just that's just a box that they need to tick and that's set standard and that's obviously to avoid um, postpartum hemorrhage or you know any other complications but 
when there's no indicators that that is how it might turn out, you know, that really frustrates me that a lot of women aren't given the chance to let their bodies do the thing. And there is research to suggest that it does then go on to have implications for breastfeeding as well. You it know? does. It's, it's a certain um, yeah topic and it makes me laugh and it shouldn't make me laugh because it's actually quite disturbing. Um, one of the, the hospitals, the second hospital I worked in at Western Australia, um, someone came in and asked for a physiological third stage. And obviously me being excited, I was like, oh, awesome. Like, yes, absolutely, let's do a physical. But do you know what? I went off shift and found out that she didn't get her physiological third stage, but it wasn't because anybody was scared. It was because nobody knew how to do it. Oh, my goodness. And I would just – and I was like – what I was like no please please repeat that to me how are you midwives and you don't know how to do a physiological third stage I don't understand that um but even things like using a pinard as well pinard stethoscope um we which we weren't allowed to touch ctgs or electronic dopplers without being able to use a pinard stethoscope yes it's a very old-fashioned instrument but even in you know many areas of Australia, again, you had these qualified midwives. But like, oh, I don't know how to use that. I was mm. like, what do you mean? It's such a simple midwifery tool. How do you not know how to use this? So it is. But yeah, I'm certainly with you on the active third stage management. Yeah. I am. Um, I try and do physiological, you know, at all costs. But sometimes, which happened to me last week, which I was quite upset about. Sometimes you will just get a second midwife who comes in just to be there because the policy states that you have to have two midwives there for the delivery and before you can do anything you know the midwife's saying you know something like 1208 I've just given Sinto and it's like well hang on a minute did you even ask her if she wanted Sinto you just walked into my room and essentially stabbed my woman in the leg yeah it's really frustrating watching births where the woman says okay I'm, I'm going to try for a physiological third stage and you can just see the look of worry on the midwives faces when the woman declines having the Sinto shot and then they say things like um well we'll see and we'll see how you go and I'm like yeah just stop planting seeds of doubt in this woman's mind you know and then even when they say okay you can have a physiological third stage they don't do anything in my experience in what I've seen they very unlikely to do anything that can help support the woman to have a physiological third stage you know Mm. if the placenta you're lying on your back it's less likely that the placenta is just going to slide on out you know get her Mm. up on all fours like and tell her to sit on the toilet like help support her in that not just go her baby to the breast yeah yeah do some nipple stimulation or something you know they go okay i'll give you 20 minutes lay on your back and let's hope this placenta comes out on its own well come on (laughs) There's so so many aspects of it that you could talk about. You know, you could go on for hours and hours. Um, Yeah, well, I plan to. Maybe not all with you, but no, I was like, you know, don't let me take up all the time. You know, I could talk about (laughs) this until the cows come home, essentially. But well, you're in good company there. Okay, well, I think we're we're almost heading towards the end of my chat with you. But there is one more thing that I wanted to ask you about. Sure, is that. What do you think, um, let's talk about Australia because it's more relevant to what I'm I'm doing now, but what do you think would be the biggest thing that would make effective change for good in the way that we practice maternal health care here in midwifery? Um, I think there needs to be women that need to know that, you know, they need to have more confidence to challenge things. There needs to be more... um, I don't know I don't know how to word it women just need to you know do a bit more research and look into things and don't just take 
whatever your medical professional says as gold, you know, challenge things and question things and look into things yourself. Don't just sit there and go, well, this hospital recommends this. Look at what other hospitals recommend. It might suit you and you might be able to go back and say, well, what about this? Um, But as well, I think, um, and this again is going to sound completely biased, but I do think that actually they need more direct entry midwives. Yeah. Um, Very much so. Because I do think a lot of it is, you know, when you've got someone that comes from the medical model of care, they're never really going to look at something from a midwifery model, no matter how yeah. hard they try, you know, don't, you know, that's saying that some of my closest midwifery friends are direct entry, mid, uh, uh, dual qualified midwives, um, but they will agree with you, they will say that because they know more, they know more risks and they go, but what about this, whereas I don't know about it, so I won't consider it, but that's not to say that, that's wrong it's just to say that you know I'm not preempting those things like you said you know you just I think the more you know what can go wrong the more you will anticipate it so rather than sitting there thinking oh you know someone's complaining that she's got you know a pain in her abdomen someone might sit there and say oh it could be this whereas I'm like it's probably just a pain it's probably just a muscle you know it's probably something that simple whereas a nurse would may necessarily just jump on it straight away and think of it being actually something really bad so yeah, I think we need to stop being scared of childbirth because it isn't scary. <laughs> it's it's all. completely natural. And, yeah, there are complications that can arise and can change that. But overall, it is one of the most simple things that can happen to a woman's body. It's what they are designed to do. And I think women need to stop being told that your body can't do this because it can. We are not designed to malfunction. We are designed to do this. You know, your hips... Another thing that I've heard so much of, which really, really upsets me, are the amount of women that told me that, oh, I had to have an elective cesarean because my doctor told me my pelvis was insufficient and I would never get a baby oh. through it. Oh, my God. There is absolutely no way they can tell that. No. <laughs> oh, he, you know, he examined me and put a scanner on me and he told me I had a flat pelvis. And I'm like, until you've been in labor and your baby has physically got stuck or you've had an obstruction, I call bullshit. <laughs> so I implore anybody who has been told that in the past to yeah call bullshit and don't believe it and don't go for the cesarean just because that's what you've they've been told you know try it like I said your body is designed to do this we're not designed to to break down or you know get stuck in this situation sometimes yeah it does happen for a multitude of factors but nine times out of ten your body is you know it does what it is meant to do I always say your your body would not produce and hold a baby that it could not birth you know like it just goes against biology it it goes against everything you know and yes complications do arise but they're complications they're rare you know it's not every day you know and if you have no reason to believe that I always say to women why do you think like do you have any reason to believe that you can't birth this baby oh my friend's friend said this I'm like that's your friend's friend that's not you do you have any reason to believe that things are going to go wrong or you're not going to be able to cope or this or that you know and when you look at it from that perspective it's a lot easier to see well, no, I don't. Like, I've never done this before. I have no reason to believe that I can't and all reason to believe that I can. Yeah, yeah. I think the best way to look at it is um, you trust your body is making a baby when you're pregnant. You trust that your baby has got, you know, two ears, two eyes, a nose, it's got fingers and toes, all of those things. You can't see that, but you believe that it's there because you know that that's what's supposed to happen. Believe the same thing about your body and trust the process when it goes into giving birth. 
Yeah, and I think that this um, goes back to our lack of childbirth education because I, I feel like once you know, if you just know what goes on in labour and you understand what's happening, it's a lot easier to cope with it in the moment and to get through the surges and to just put your full trust in the process when you know what's happening. When you're relying on information that's being passed to you by midwives, it's it's harder for you to comprehend. And in that moment when you're being given information and you're in the throes of labor you're not absorbing it you know you still don't know what's going on yeah it's that's why it's so important I think to you know address these things all the way through the pregnancy you know there's never it's never a time that's too too soon to talk about this you know labor can happen at any stage um so yeah I think it is really important to start looking into it you know have conversations with other people but also like I said just trust the process and learn about learn about your body um which again like you like you touched on we need to do more of that in schools we need to teach girls you know that our bodies aren't disgusting it's okay to have a look it's okay to look at your parts down there and know where your urethra is the amount of people that don't know where their urethra is baffles me so basic things of understanding that actually yes sometimes we get stroppy and we're supposed to and you know guys make jokes that it's our time of the month it is very much so your time of the month because there are crazy things happening in your body so I do think again like you said the education system has a lot to answer for I think we need to stop you know not talking about sex education and things like that because people are too young and it encourage people to have sex not at all you know I think it's more so the more you're aware of it the more that you you know you can make good decisions and you can be informed in your choices and what you do so yeah, yeah I yeah, think that would definitely really help but in every country in the world I think it needs more uh, education around it 100% I think there's a big shift going on at the moment in that women are with the rise of calm birth and hypnobirth and things like that that childbirth education is a lot more accessible um, but certainly still not in school um, I don't remember ever being taught about the process of birth or anything like that I'm sure I got some basic sex education in high school or something but not significant enough for me to remember you know and it sucks that the onus is on the women to take that into their own hands and have to educate themselves but you know knowledge is power and um you know the benefits that you'll reap from that will be immeasurable absolutely i couldn't agree more oh thank you so much for coming on it's been so lovely to chat to you it has yeah i've really enjoyed it thank you for having me